Hello and welcome to episode 125 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host Mark. Joining me on today's episode are two film directors, Andy Collier and Tor Mian. We get to sit back and talk all about their brand new horror film, Sacrifice. I was lucky enough to see this film and it's a great British horror and is available now so you should all go and check it out after listening to today's episode. But in true typical Mark and Me fashion, you know the score by now, I do like to touch base and talk about my last episode. On episode 124, I was joined by the absolute geezer, Jason Fleming. It was a great talk, we got to talk all about his brand new film, Two Weeks to Live, also getting to work on Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels, Snatch, working with Guy Ritchie and so much more. It was such a great energy to the interview, so positive and the response as always has been amazing so thanks for everyone for tuning in and listening to that interview. But let's get back to today's episode. It's a great insight for anyone that's looking to make a film, anyone that wants to get into the industry. They offer a really big insight in how to actually get funding and so much more. It's a great chat and I can't wait to get to it. So here's me and Andy and Tor talking all things film. Thanks both for joining me today on the Mark and Me podcast. What I wanted to do today for anyone that's tuned in that is unaware of your work at this stage and is just discovering you both is find out what was it that kind of made you fall in love with film or get that passion for cinema. So I suppose, Andrew, can you tell me first, was it at a very young age that you remember watching a certain film or being at the cinema or was it something else that got you into it? Yeah, I think I think I got into movies and also into horror. In, in, in my early teens, and I'm very old, and it was the days of, of kind of local video stores. And, you know, and, and with, with our friends, we used to go and rent VHSs that they weren't allowed to rent to us, you know, and I yeah. just, and, 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 and I loved it, you know, and kind of, you know, Evil Dead, I probably watched it 50 times. And that really kind of got me into cinema and really got me into horror. And then I kind of learned about, more highbrow cinema later on but highbrow for me means Hitchcock or something like that. <laughs> it's amazing isn't it when you're engaged I remember we had a blockbuster video and my dad got in a lot of trouble off my mom because he let me have aliens at about the age of eight or nine and it absolutely terrified me but at the same time it made me fall in love with horror and then want to see Alien 3 and Jaws and all the others that come with it and I remember Poltergeist was one that was banned and you weren't meant to have but they they allowed us to have it, and that was the one that changed me. What about you, Tor? Were yours experienced the same, or was it slightly different? Um, not too dissimilar, although maybe a bit more um, pathetic. If I, if, I, if I was being really, really honest, the reason I, I got into film to a really obsessive level, a scarily obsessive level as a teenager, um, was, was just through a lack of friends. I, uh, <laughs> I had to fill my time somehow. As a kid, I was actually, you wouldn't, you wouldn't uh, know now to look at me, but I was, I was actually quite an athletic kid. I, I played a lot of sport. Right. Uh, my whole, my whole so- social structure, my whole life really was revolved around, around playing sport. I was, I was on various teams. And then I, then I uh, got a, a, a relatively serious injury when I was about 14 or 15. I couldn't play sport and I realized I had no threat, no, no social network beyond <laughs> playing sport. Absolutely, absolutely nothing. Right. And so I, I delved, um, I, I, I delved in, into the world of, uh, of film and, 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 and TV pretty much just initially just to, 
um, <laughs> um, uh, get over not having any social life and distinctly remember the, the moment I, I, I crossed over from being a so-called jock to an absolute geek when uh, Jurassic Park was just about to be released. Right. And it was a documentary about the making of Jurassic yeah. Park that was, that was uh, being being screened on, on, the, on the BBC. And I got invited to this sporting event, but that would mean I'd have to miss this, this documentary. And, and, and I, chose, I chose that Jurassic Park documentary over, over doing this social uh, healthy activity. And uh, yeah, that's pro- that moment probably the biggest regret of my life because <laughs> film has utterly, utterly ruined it uh, for me. I, I might be a, a well-adjusted adult <laughs> with lots of friends um, um, and a social life if 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 I if I had chosen cricket over Jurassic Park. But hey, Jurassic Park for me is one of the best out there, so it's good foundations <laughs> to build upon. Absolutely. And then obviously you both got this love for film um, and horror, but what is it, This kind of what's the stage when it then became reality that you could hopefully try and make a career out of it and start actually making films and being involved in the, the production of films? Because there's one thing buying or renting a film and watching it over again, but what's the stage when you think to yourself, do you know what, I think I can take this upon myself to be a filmmaker or a producer or a director? Oh, interesting question. Um, and Andy? I don't think there there was ever a kind of flipping a switch moment, which no. is kind of unusual for me. It's kind of, you know, I, I think lots of people try. And I guess we've been kind of lucky, you could say, in that we've been able to to gradually make progress and do it more and more. Um, you know, we, we've wanted to for a long time, but it's, it's tough. It's hard to get into. Um, you know, and it still seems to be picking up momentum now, you know, so, you know, and we spent a lot of time raising money for films and then losing the money for the films and raising money again. And like this one, for example, we we had, I think we raised the money for this, then we lost it. And we raised the money for another much bigger project and lost that. And then we decided to shoot this with, I think with one third of the original budget, because that was what we had raised and so we said let's shoot it for a third of the budget and we'll live on the set and we'll eat potatoes you know <laughs> so, so that's what we did and, and how do you find that resilience to keep bouncing back because if you're getting rejected and they're saying to you you've got this kind of hope and you're kind of putting all everything on it and you get rejected you then bounce back and do it all again to be rejected again it must be pretty hard to mentally keep thinking to yourself we are going to get it made eventually because so many people would just think fuck it and walk away yeah absolutely it is it is um uh it can it can definitely be disheartening but i think it, it ultimately it comes down to having already dug such a deep hole yeah that, that, uh, <laughs> um, it's difficult to dig yourself to get out you yeah might, you might as well just keep keep going and see what see what happens and hope for the best but yeah my, my advice is don't start to begin with yeah that's good this is, all these filmmakers that are listening right now are thinking brilliant i won't even bother starting <laughs> yeah but I, I think the whole industry and every job at every level is is you know it's you need to deal with rejection you know yeah. and it's tough because you know what it's like and it's like auditioning people like for this we auditioned a bunch of really great actors you know and we always do for every role and and kind of you know making the decision 
it's never how good are they at acting. It's a yeah. it's it's kind of how how good are they for the role and how do they fit with with all the other people we're thinking of casting. And kind of it was you know the, the final casting for this was a bit like a game of guess who or something, you know, because we wanted to do the John Carpenter thing of making every character distinctive but different. Yeah. You know, and then we had a bunch of people who really liked and we were kind of shuffling them around, you know, in, in the supporting roles to see who works and who didn't, you know, and, and you know, and you, you have to reject a lot of great people. And so hopefully somebody somewhere thinks the same about us, but they probably think yeah, we're they, a <laughs> We're an easy rejection. <laughs> and then I'm sure a lot of people that will be listening and obviously then will check out Sacrifice. They'll probably be asking themselves how you guys came to work together because this isn't the first time you've worked together and looking on your IMDBs and doing research, you can see that you guys have had a partnership for quite a while. What was it? Can you remember the time when you first actually discussed working together? I mean, it might seem a long time ago now you've got a few projects under your belt, but do you remember that first meeting or how it came about? Yeah, it, it certainly was a long time ago now. I, I think technically we've probably known each other now for a decade. Yeah. Um, my, um, our uh, one of the one of the producers on 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 the on the film um, introduced us um, a, a guy named Sean Knopp who um, uh, was an actor on the first ever uh, film I. I, I made and he was also an actor on I believe I, I'm not sure if it was Andy's first film but it was one of yeah, yeah, his yeah. first mm-hmm. films and um yeah he thought he thought we might we might uh we might get along so he introduced us and um we we actually bonded over our mutual love of one of the most underrated films of all time and what I believe is uh technically the biggest flop in 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 Hollywood history and that's the 13th warrior um yeah um, Andy Andy up until that point and I think beyond that point as well is the only person I've ever met who uh who truly loves that movie as 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 much as as much as I do and uh and and then we kind of thought I think well um there has to be something to this relationship if uh if if we both love this particularly um uh awful but brilliant movie and the first thing we ever made together or worked on together officially was was a, a tv pilot or short film um like a sci-fi comedy thing um starring tony curran from the 13th warrior so basically for the entire shoot i was just i was just doing various quotes that his character had said and really pissing him off <laughs> we need to be like so you're the two people that like this film yeah absolutely <laughs> what what are your views on the 13th warrior have, have, have you have you have you seen the 13th warrior you know what now this is a bit where i'm going to be exposed but i've not seen it wow Oh, it's awesome. I'll uh, add it to my ongoing list of binge watching to have to try and get through. But um, I'm a big fan of bad movies. So stuff like The Room with Tommy Wiseau, um, Mac and Me, I absolutely adore. So, you know, is not a bad movie. Thirteen Warrior is generally a great movie. Just most other people think it's a bad movie. It's not it's not an ironically. I love this movie, ironically, like Mac and Me. Or the room, which which are awesome for other reasons. No, it's, yeah. I, I, it's genuinely a good movie, in okay. my opinion. But, but, but maybe not yours after you watch it. 
<laughs> well, it made Omar Sharif quit acting. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I should be on the front cover. <laughs> and then I've spoken to a lot of directors and I've been lucky enough to go on some sets of films that are in production. And obviously directing is a very tough role. Um, there's a lot of different qualities that are needed. But also to take ownership is quite a big thing. And when you're sharing that responsibility with somebody else, and this is what I've asked the guys that did Wreck together, how is it that you guys avoid clashing? Because it's a big personality, it's a big responsibility to be on set and have that ownership of all the different roles that make up a director. Now, if you're sharing that responsibility, if your ideas are different and you've got different sort of thought processes, how do you kind of always find yourself being in that headspace to allow to sometimes compromise with each other's decisions? Okay, well, I guess the first thing is we don't avoid clashing at all. Uh, and we have some quite vicious arguments. Right. Um, I remember, I still remember Tor when you called me a Daily Mail reader um, <laughs> at one point. <laughs> uh, uh, but, but, but cunningly, or luckily, we, we spend a lot of time in pre-production having those fights. You know, so by the time we get to shooting on, on, on both of the features we did together, we, we, we'd at least got some semblance of, of uh, a common vision. But yeah, it, it takes a lot of a lot of debate and sometimes vicious arguments beforehand to get there. You know, and we often I want to do one A, Tor wants yeah. to do B. We, we we mutually hate each other person's suggestion. And what usually happens um, is that somebody in the heat of fighting somebody comes up with c and then we both realize that was a better idea all along so we go with c um but but yeah we we have lots of disagreements early on in a project um but we we i think we pretty much always reach a common vision i'm disappointed that you weren't going to say something like you end up just playing rock paper scissors or something to make a final decision <laughs> no it's usually much much more violent than that yeah <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's good that you've learned to kind of um, adapt and be so willing. I know you said that you have, you know, full on arguments, but that because you've got so much passion and, you know, ownership over this and you you probably really want to be proud of what's going into it. So it's good that you've got that. But it must be tough at times to kind of be willing just to hand it over and say, do you know what? All right, then you go with your strategy. Well, I, I, I think um, um, filmmaking um, is completely about um um compromising and and being being open to uh um to not not not, not just uh working as a co as co-directors but but uh working with you know with 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 other members of 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 the cast and crew being being open to ideas um it's if 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 you want to produce something you have sole ownership over, you kind of need to you know write a novel, yeah, um, um, or, or 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 write a a, uh, a a solo album as a singer songwriter. Yeah. Filmmaking really really doesn't work in that manner. Um, I think really probably at almost any level. I mean, unless you're maybe Stanley Kubrick or, yeah. or David Fincher or Steven Spielberg, there, there, there isn't actually really. Um, I, I think it's. I think it's. It's the idea that there is one vision behind any film. 
it's, it's kind of a myth. Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess everybody, every director learns that really early in, in their training or their experience that as soon as an actor starts to act, Absolutely. it's completely wrong. Yeah. <laughs> that's, not what you, that's not what you had in mind. You know, but so, so you just need to learn to... to Elaborate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And stick, nudge them in the right direction and, and hope that they can get there. So with the film, obviously, we've got the release in mid-March of Sacrifice. For anyone that's listening now that's now going to go and check this out from listening to the interview, without spoiling too much about the film, can you kind of give us a little bit of an insight to the movie and what happens? Okay. Um, without, without spoiling the film. Yeah, a couple from the US go home to his origins, which is a remote village on an island off the shore of Norway. And um, when they get there, some strange things happen. It's, it, it's, it's folk horror. Yeah. Uh, but there's also a real Lovecraftian spin on it. You know, and we got, we got a lot of inspiration from specifically from the Call of Cthulhu and the story is nothing like the Call of Cthulhu, but it kind of takes place in the same universe and the same kind of ideas. And, and, and the themes from that story were carried over into this one. So, so people, so it's not a Lovecraft adaptation, but, but it kind of takes place in the same world as the Call of Cthulhu. If you have a tentacle fetish as we all do, then this is the film for you. Is again, is that on the DVD yeah, cover? Absolutely, that's its main selling point. <laughs> <laughs> and you said about influences. What were you researching and looking at while this film was being in production? Were there certain films? You've mentioned a couple there, but you've also mentioned Evil Dead today. You've mentioned kind of low-budget horrors. Do you kind of take influence from people, uh, certain sort of, you know, like you mentioned John Carpenter. Is he someone that's kind of shaped the films you love today? Um, yeah, that's a good question. Uh, what films influenced this? I mean, clearly we were heavily influenced by The Wicker Man to, to, to such an extent that we that, that we deliberately tried to move away from it as far as possible by, you know, The Wicker Man was bright and we were very dark and moody. Yeah. And, and Edward Woodward was kind of an unwilling victim and Isaac is the opposite. I mean, Nicolas Cage, I thought you were about to talk about his great performance. Oh. Yeah, no, no, I'm sure we were influenced by that as well, also negatively. Um, What else? Um, What are the movies? (laughs) Well, actually, to some extent, there was... There was a, a really unknown or, or not very well-known movie that came out at the same time as Carrie's Martyr. It was on the festival circuit at the same time. What was it called? Rift. It was the Icelandic film. And it yeah. was getting loads of plaudits for its cinematography, basically because it was shot in Iceland. You know, and yeah. it was like, turn the camera that way. It looks awesome. You know, so, yeah. so, so we did the same thing. And a, 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 a movie that I think um, quite heavily influenced us that, that might not... Um, necessarily seem immediately obvious and that it's it, it's it's not a horror film thematically it's um completely and utterly uh um different than 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 sacrifice was uh nicholas uh winding refs uh drive yeah um, in in that um we loved this 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 notion of of, of trying to um produce a a uh a, a, a film that very, very much hits um, traditional genre beats from yeah. a narrative point of view. That's almost quite simple from a narrative point of view, but that um, 
is the that was executed in 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 um, idiosyncratic manner. Yeah. Um, so that was that was to a certain extent that was kind of our starting point, our inspiration for um, for, for for moving forward with this. We wanted to make something that was very very accessible on the one hand, almost simple in 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 terms of script structure, but. Um, that had a a unique ambience and 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 weirdness and and um, a almost ethereal of a of a worldly vibe um, yeah. um, uh, playing out. Um, um, I think that's that's certainly an influence. Yeah, I think so, and I think that that as Tor said, that directness kind of went into the story structure as well because kind of the, it. It really explores that Lovecraftian theme that humans are insignificant and not in control of their own destiny. So, so, so the story is, is a, a straight line to a well telegraphed conclusion. You know, so it's not. I don't think there are, there are really twists and turns, but kind of that's the point. But we, yeah. it's kind of we try to get, you know, we, we try to tell that in a in a really sort of meaningful way. I don't know. That's true. Not every film has to have twists every five minutes. Sometimes it can be yeah. a nice, straightforward narrative that just works and is solid. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. Now this film's out there, um, it's finished, it's all done. Obviously with the lockdown, has it given you guys a chance to kind of get more time to sit down and work out some projects that maybe you've had on the back burner for a while? Or is there anything that you've now got that you're taking on as a brand new challenge because you've been given that extra time? Because I know for myself, it's given me more chance to get more done because everyone's available. It's a nice chance that everyone's not, you know, they've got a lot more time to spare. So have you found yourself being able to get some projects now greenlit that you're maybe waiting on? I think I think the opposite for yeah. us. It's, it's yeah. really slowed things down. And, and from a creative point of view as well, I, I to escape from tour, I moved to Cyprus. Um, but I, I was expecting to go back to back home you know, yeah. every month at least but i've been i've been trapped on an island for the last nine months which sounds a bit <laughs> like it could be horror film <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um yeah I, I mean unfortunately i completely agree with 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 andy on this it's slowed things down massively yeah. derailed a lot of momentum we we, we had pre-pandemic yeah. Um, hopefully, although things might have slowed down, it, um, it won't have destroyed things completely. And and if things ever touch wood, go back to some level of, of, of normality within the industry and the world world at large, we can get things back firmly back on track. Yeah. And is there a thing at the moment you're both working on? Is there anything in pre-production at the moment or is there anything you're kind of looking at? Yeah, I mean, we 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 um, had quite a lot of uh, traction on a on another horror um, uh, set in Utah, America. Um, I mean, we we we'd already done the location scouting. We'd uh, we, we were tentatively starting the casting uh, process, and um, but yeah, that was that was uh, um, um, stopped in its in its in its tracks. But um, we're we're hoping. We can we can revive that um, relatively relatively soon. And something I ask every guest that's come on there: it doesn't matter if they're a cinematographer, a musician, an artist. There are going to be people that are listening to this podcast today that are wanting to get into the industry. So maybe they're at film school or they're studying at college. 
And what advice do you give to those people about kind of making that step to make their first film or to get their work seen in a world that's so tough to kind of make a name for yourself, especially in the film industry? <laughs> that is uh, um, a very, very, very difficult question uh, for me to, 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 to answer, I think. I'm going to add the answer first because I I, I want to be encouraging. Um, so uh, so, so yeah, I'm going to think my encouraging answer while Andy is no doubt giving an encouraging answer. Yeah, we're not accepting rather, your rather than my honest answer. answer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, for somebody who wants to break into the industry, I mean, this might be pretty boring advice, but you know, if it, it's really to make connections and to make people think that you're awesome. Like yeah. it's, it's, it's super, super tough at every level, you know, and, and we, I think most, it's, it's rare to walk into directing straight away unless you really find some lightning in a bottle with a short project, you know, so, so you need to make connections and you need to have people want to work with you again. So, so I guess it's, it's help out in any way you can on yeah. as many projects as you can. And while you're there, be the most helpful nicest person on set and people will want to bring you back and then from from there you know you can you can start to build something you know and we've and that's actually quite rare like most <laughs> like most most freelancers who work in films you know are, are tend to be a bit of a nightmare so so <laughs> so i mean honestly you know it's so so the ones who are actually good you know, we we try and use them again and again and again. To you know, and kind of we you know we have people turning us down because they've got too many projects, and we you know we'll we'll beg them to come and work with us again, just because you know make yourself a pleasure to work with and work hard, and then you know you can build something. Yeah, I I, I think that's actually a a really brilliant answer, but but by, by by Andy, um, it's un, unless unless you are clearly um the next Steven Spielberg the next the next Kubrick the next Tarantino no one's going to know that until you've actually made something yeah be fucking nice <laughs> um, um have some have some humility the the, the, the issue I think so many people that I, I'm obviously not going to name any names but I that I know personally who are very very talented yeah um go in at uh at um um this 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 level or an entry level thinking they're already tarantino <laughs> they're already yeah. spilled they're they're, they're they're already they're already kubrick yeah and they they can't act um in that manner until you've proved it yeah and 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 therefore the the, the best way to to keep getting um hired as andy has said is just be nice be pleasant yeah. to work with um People, people um, want to work in this industry um, partly because they might have some grand artistic endeavor, but also, also because it's meant to be fun. It's not meant to be a uh, a, a, a conventional work environment. It's 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 meant to you know feel like being at a, on a playground and. If 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 you're working with people that um, don't necessarily um, foster um, that that 
that uh, um, level of fun of, yeah. of, of, of actually being in an enjoyable environment, then you're not going to get hired again. So basically suppress your inner ego. Don't be yourself. Um, yeah. <laughs> let, you let your true self come out um, after you actually have your foot in the door. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, and I and I think that that's not just to get rehired in whatever low level job you're doing, because you know, to, to the, the the people who've been really impressive in whatever kind of freelance capacity they were there, you know, you know, maybe we're weird, but but you know, we, we actively try to collaborate with them and sort of, you know, we aren't the HR department, so but but kind of you know allow them to take bigger and bigger roles. You know, there's plenty of people who 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 you know we've we've wanted to move up to producing. Absolutely, you know, I mean, there's yeah. there's, there's um, um, that famous uh, Kubrick story about I I I'm terrible with names. I don't know his his name, but um, the the guy that ended up as 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 one of his. Uh, producers uh, starting out as a a a runner um, yeah. on um, on 2001, yeah, and um, Kubrick uh, allegedly allegedly um, was uh, looking looking for um, a desert location, but um, in England because yeah. he only wanted to film in England, and and this this. This this runner um, basically uh, found found this location, and then on the next project he was a producer, um, and um, um, and that really is how the how the industry industry works. And that's yeah. one of the few good things about about the the industry. The, the sky's the limit if you are truly helpful and you have the right attitude. Um, and um, you do go the extra mile for, for for whatever production you're working on, regardless of your title at the time. The guy that is the runner on 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 the film we just shot might be might legitimately be running Warner Brothers in ten years. No, it's good. Good advice, guys. Thank you. Right, guys, I think our time is literally up by one minute. So I want to thank you both for taking the time to come on the podcast. I wish you all the luck with the release of Sacrifice. Um, I'm looking forward to people listening to the podcast and then reading tweets and Instagram comments and Facebook comments of people that um, have fell in love with this horror and want to check out more of your work. But it's been an absolute pleasure. And thank you both for coming on. Thank you so much. So there it is. There's my interview with me, Andy and Tor. And as I said at the start of today's interview, it's a great insight for anyone that's looking to try and get into the industry, or even if you're not and you're just interested in the whole process of filmmaking, how it gets funded, and how to overcome those setbacks that come when trying to get into such a busy industry. I want to thank them both for taking the time to come on the podcast, and as I said, the film they were talking about, Sacrifice, is available now, and I urge you all to go and check it out. It's brilliant. As you know, Mark and me is absolutely insanely busy right now. I'm doing two episodes every week, every Wednesday and every Saturday. You're getting a brand new episode, but I do need your support. Please keep coming on markandme.com and on there there's links to all of my social media. As I've said on every episode, if you can't support me on Patreon, you can offer support which is free. 
All you have to do is retweet the episodes or share it on your Facebook and Instagram. It costs nothing and you will not believe the difference it makes. It gets the word out there and brings a whole new audience to Mark and me. And that's something that money can't buy. So thank you for everyone that does it. And if you're listening now, please do it amongst your networks. It really, really helps. If you love the podcast and want to get involved in trying to support me even further, I do have a Patreon page and the links on there is from markandme.com. So jump on there. You can support me for as little as a pound a month. For that, you're getting nine episodes this month and every month you're going to get at least eight with two a week coming out. There's opportunities to win some incredible prizes. Vice Press, who I believe are the best company out there right now for posters and merch, they're offering some incredible prizes every single week and some of them are variants you can't even buy because they sell out so quickly. I'll also keep the prizes coming with DVDs and Blu-rays and merch that the companies offer me and make sure that you guys get rewarded for the support. So please keep that coming. As I've said on every episode now, the money doesn't go to me. It goes right back into the podcast for me to host it on all these different channels. goes and allows me to do more and more interviews, which means more and more podcasts for you. So it's win-win. Thanks everyone for listening. I'll be back on Saturday with a huge episode and I can't wait for you guys to hear it. It's one of my personal favourites and you guys are going to love it. So until then, look after yourself, take care and I'll speak to you all soon.